Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. I'm J.W. Cox, filling in this week for Scott Peterson. Coming up, a conversation with a health advocate about how to combat obesity here in Minnesota and around the country. Plus, the second half of the show dedicated to a music legend as the Minnesota History Center plans a new exhibit helping fans better understand Prince. But first, this. Significant developments at the Minnesota Capitol this week in the debate over how to make insulin more affordable for Minnesotans. Republicans in the Senate made a counterproposal to the House Democrats' plan. Eminence Bill Werner is here with the latest. Well, J.W., drug manufacturers would provide free insulin to Minnesotans struggling to pay for it under Senate Republicans' plan. That's a very different approach from Democrats' proposal, which would assess a fee on drug makers and the state use those funds to run an insulin assistance program. Senator Eric Pratt says under Republicans' plan... We allow folks under 400% of the federal poverty level to qualify for this program. Just to put that in a context, that's a single person making nearly $50,000 a year and a family of four making over $100,000 a year. Here are a few key differences between our bill and what the House Democrats have proposed. The Democrats cover a 90-day supply of insulin. What do you do after day 91? So this allows someone to get a stable supply of insulin for up to a year before they have to requalify. We also have the manufacturers uh, providing the insulin to the patient. And what we've tried to do is streamline that distribution channel, one that already exists, so it's not disruptive to doctors or patients, to be almost a direct-to-consumer model. Senator, the uh, manufacturers provide the insulin, is that correct? That's correct. How do you ensure that that happens? How do I ensure that happens? It's in law. They have to, in or, as part of doing business in the state of Minnesota, they will comply with this program. Quinn Nystrom with the group Minnesota Insulin for All wants stronger guarantees. When we asked about those specific pharma questions, to me it seemed a little gray. Uh, you know, the big question always has been, the crux of this whole bill getting passed has been, who's going to pay for it? Now, I didn't get a clear answer in that room of, who really will be paying other than they say that the insulin manufacturers, you know, will be sending this insulin to patients. But what I'll say is insulin manufacturers are not going to like a program like this. And are they going to get a penalty? Are they going to, I mean, how are we really going to hold them to that of being responsible to get that insulin to the patients who desperately need it? That's my question. It looks like you're looking for stronger insurance, as it were, that they in fact do provide the insulin free. If they do that, are you open to this approach as opposed to a state-run insulin assistance program? They made it seem like there's some areas that are gray and that are still being worked out. So it's hard for me to say I would select this bill over the other because I think the Alex Smith emergency insulin bill has been much more thoroughly vetted all the stakeholders have been brought to the table. Uh, you know, it passed in the House, it passed in the Senate, but then, you know, we, we had that little issue at the end. So it's hard for me to say this bill looks better when they're telling us at the press conference this is just a draft. Senator Pratt argues Senate Republicans' plan minimizes government involvement. If we can do a direct-to-consumer approach through a distribution channel that already exists, 
then why would we want to recreate a whole new bureaucracy for a short-term program? But the big question is, will the pharmaceutical industry go along with Republicans' plan, or will they bring lobbying pressure to bear against it, as they did with Democrats' Alex Smith Emergency Insulin Act? Republican Senator Pratt acknowledges drug makers. I wouldn't say that they are uh, happy with this program. Um, I think we've pushed pharma uh, probably further than they would have wanted to go, but we expect that they will do business in the state of Minnesota and they'll comply with this program. Pharma, the pharmaceutical industry's trade group, says in a written statement, quote, biopharmaceutical companies that research and develop insulin offer programs that can help patients with the cost of insulin and other diabetes medicines today. And Pharma recently launched a new resource called the Medicine Assistance Tool to make it easier for eligible patients to access information on assistance that may be available to them. The group goes on to say, quote, Rather than creating a duplicative new state-run program, we believe efforts should be focused on fixing a broken system that's asking patients to pay a higher price for insulin than their insurance company, unquote, the statement from Pharma. Also this week, Minnesota Senator and Presidential hopeful Amy Klobuchar touting a jump in her poll numbers to 8% in Iowa in a post-debate survey. That puts her in fifth place among Democratic contenders. Carleton College political analyst Stephen Shear's take. I would say that the Klobuchar campaign now has new life because of this Iowa poll that puts her at 8%. Uh, that's an improvement over previous surveys. Iowa is essential to her strategy. She has to finish well there in order to proceed further in the presidential selection process. So uh, this is a good day for Amy Klobuchar. Is this a signal that she might be able to actually become the nominee, or I suppose it's way too early to tell? Yeah, it's way too early to tell. Uh, What she needs to do is demonstrate her viability. She had a good debate uh, earlier in September, and there is an October debate, and she has to build on that performance in order to maintain her momentum. But she is still uh, up against, at least as a moderate, or what I, I think most people would agree, she, she's uh, among the moderate offerings. She's still up against a Joe Biden, as an example. Right. One of the uh, debate problems for Amy Klobuchar is by uh, criticizing more progressive candidates, she actually does Joe Biden's work for him. And Joe Biden is very much in her way uh, and really puts a ceiling on how far she can move. Uh, She has to hope at some point that Biden begins to slide so that she can move up. Do you see that happening at all? Well, so far, Biden is holding his own at the top of the field. He's not an overwhelming favorite, but he's consistently been number one in the surveys. And as long as that continues, that's a significant problem for Amy Klobuchar. That's Carleton College political analyst Stephen Shear. J.W., more Minnesota Matters, next. Son, uh, can you hand me that big screwdriver? This one, Dad? Uh, no, that's a wrench. Uh, I need the long one close to your foot. Why? Uh, because I need to loosen a screw. Why? Because I have to change the oil filter. Why? I love you. <laughs> the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. All right. Now pass me the new filter. Why? <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> Take time to be a dad today. For more information, dial 1 877 432 3411 
or visit us at www.fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A CDC report released this month showed a continued rise in the obesity rate, including the highest ever spike in Minnesota to up over 30%. I spoke with health advocate John Auerbach with Trust for America's Health about the trend and the steps needed to turn the tide. We now have the highest level of obesity that we've ever had within the nation, um, and it's reached the 31% of the adult population. We know that individual solutions may help people who are actually able to uh, make choices and change their lifestyle. But for most people, that's a challenge because what's caused obesity are major social and economic changes in the way we live. So for that reason, we think it's important to focus on policies that help to recognize the challenges uh, that people face in in eating well and physical activity, which are the two key behaviors that are important. And what are some of the steps that need to be taken to help address these behaviors and make it easier for individuals to do that? Initially, it's the recognition that everybody has a role. Uh, We can't rely on a single intervention or a, a a single activity to make a difference. We've tried that for years. It hasn't reduced the obesity level. So what communities are finding is they need to get everyone around the table from multiple sectors, the business community, schools, uh, government, um, transportation planners, city planners, and, and county planners, look at the data and talk about how policies that they're involved in can make a difference. The Centers for Disease Control recognizes that and is actually giving a limited number of states funding to help uh, support that kind of multi-sector work. Unfortunately, it only has enough money to give 16 states that funding. So one of the first policy steps we would um, recommend would be making sure every state in the country has the resources, the training, the technical assistance to begin to get those different sectors to the table, all uh, rowing in the same direction. To drill down a little on a local level for us here in Minnesota, what were some of the numbers and and some of the trends that we've seen at a state level here locally for us? Minnesota, compared to many other states, is is doing better. Um, When we rank the states from uh, those with the highest obesity levels to those with the lowest obesity levels, uh, Minnesota is at uh, the 30th place. But that's nothing to be proud of because it's the highest level it's ever been at, and it is 30% of the residents uh, of the state. It was 26% just five years ago. And when you look at the state of Minnesota, obviously there's a lot of things that we get credit for as far as being an active state and a lot of different things that that help people uh, be healthier and live healthier. Where do you see the disconnect between those opportunities and those opportunities not being available for everyone to be able to combat this rising obesity rate? You're right. Minnesota has done a number of different things that really promote health and and are are looked to with admiration from around the country. Uh, What we think here is that there needs to be special attention in communities that are at elevated risk. We know, for example, that the lower income communities within the state and the communities of color are at greater risk for a number of different health issues, but among those health issues is uh, obesity and overweight. That's tied to the lack of stores sometimes that sell healthy foods, 
limited income that people have to purchase healthier foods, the lack of recreational facilities in a community, the state may want to look at is its focus as strong as it could be promoting equity with regard to access to what we know will make a difference in, in addressing obesity. What do the everyday Minnesotans need to take away from this that they can do the action steps that they can look toward uh, to try to combat this or make sure that people know that it's an important thing to try and combat? There certainly is a role for personal responsibility and behavior, and Minnesotans are already trying to exercise more and eat healthy food. That's a great movement and, and should be continued. But folks of the state may also want to be talking to their policy makers at the state level and the federal level to make sure that there's adequate funding, not just for that CDC program I mentioned, but for the Women, Infants, and Children program nationwide. Only about 50% of the eligible people are enrolled. In Minnesota, it's up to 60%. If it was up to 100%, that many more children would get the protection against poor eating habits. After a short break, Minnesota Matters continues next. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Prince fans, pay attention. The Minnesota History Center opened a new exhibit that will help fans better understand who Prince was in the early years of his career before his blockbuster hit, Purple Rain. Eminem's Tasha Radel has more. JW, that's right. On Saturday, the new exhibit, Prince Before the Rain by Minnesota photographer Alan Bolio, opened. Alan was Prince's personal photographer and friend from the late 1970s into the early 1980s and worked closely with the artist, helping to transform Prince from rising star to superstardom. Through it all, he had access to the musician that few photographers have had before or since. Join me now is Alan Bolio, so let's dive right in, Alan. Can you tell us a little bit about how your friendship with Prince started? How it started was I did a fashion poster for the YWCA, and uh, the person that hired me was Bernadette Anderson, who happened to be Andre Simone's mother. Um, Prince was living with Andre Simone at the time and saw the poster I did for Bernadette and uh, got my number right from Bernadette and called me immediately and booked me to do a session. And the first session we did was a star photo, and uh, and the rest was kind of history. But that's how we met. And so I believe, if I remember reading right, uh, that was in the late 1970s, and then did you work with him for a few years, or how long did that collaboration last? Yeah, it was from 79 right up until Purple Rain, 1984. And I was on three tours. I, I did album covers for his various other projects. I did, uh, for him, I did Dirty Mind, Controversy in 1999. And for the time, I did uh, The Time, self-titled album. And What Time Is It? And then he had a girl group called Vanity Six. So I also did their album cover, too. So, and he wrote all those songs, so um, they were kind of all under his tutelage, kind of. And uh, so a lot of work in a short amount of time. Plus, I, he took me on tour. I was on uh, the, every tour, the Dirty Mind tour, the Controversy tour, and the 1999 tour. We became actual friends. Um, I think that's the distinction I have over 
other photographers is that we became actual, you know, pretty close friends. And that's what I was going to ask you. Um, you know, I had read that you built a, a, a personal relationship with him. And, you know, for the listeners out there, um, what kind of person was he? How do you recall Prince? Well, Prince was, you know, he was uh, very talented. I mean, exceptionally talented musically and and uh, he was unbelievable in, in that regard. But on the other hand, he didn't have many social skills because he got signed at such a young age. I think he got signed at 16, and he didn't go through the same growing up problems that you and I had where, you know, there'd be awkward, you know, social situations like a school dance or a prom where you don't know if you're going to go out with somebody or somebody's going to ask you or, you know, he never had that problem. Um, so he was a little socially, uh, when I met him, was a little socially inept. Like he didn't know um, that that happened, you know, that people were insecure. <laughs> you know, he was kind of shy, but that's different than being insecure. You know what I mean? He seemed just by, I guess, following him, is he a pretty private person? Oh, absolutely. I mean, at the beginning, you know, he didn't want to give too much away. And I don't think he did interviews. Um, or maybe a couple when I was with him at the end, towards the 1999 part, but not when we were creating the whole image of, you know, uh, first there was the raincoat and bandana and, you know, he wore uh bikini and also uh, leg warmers um, and then moved on to just trench coat and uh, and he was a little bit more dressed up and in controversy where he actually wore a bolo tie and a white shirt along with the trench coat and then more black pants kind of thing and then in 1999 then he turned purple and then purple really stayed with him obviously and uh and that's when the coat became kind of purple, and then it became shiny purple. And then, you know, then he had his own kind of designers working on it. And, you know, so he was getting bigger. So the art that we created, we created an image for him. And uh, and not only that, you know, he, we'd, we'd go out a lot, you know. Um, you know, he'd call me up at 11 o'clock and says, Al, let's go out and... Um, Let's go to First Avenue. So we'd go for, you know, maybe an hour, you know. But what I'd do is, <laughs> what I would do is just drop him off at the front door and I'd go park. And then, so we weren't going in together. And then we'd leave, to, I'd pick him up. I mean, you know, i say just wait here and I'll come and pick you up. Because, you know, I had read, like, even when he did, um, you know, his, uh, I can't remember what they called him, but out at Paisley Park, like his impromptu concerts where he'd, send out a tweet saying, hey, come on out at midnight. Is that just the kind of person he was? Like, all of a sudden, let's let's just do this? Yeah, I mean, but he was always late at night. I understand that. I mean, um, some of our photo sessions would start at midnight, and I wouldn't get home until, like, 10 in the morning the next day. And, and there were some photo shoots, you know, that were like that. But then there were some others where you come during the day, um, so I wouldn't say, you know, it was always like that, but yeah, he was more of a night guy, a night kind of person. After a brief pause, 
Tasha dives into the exhibit itself. More Minnesota Matters next. As a young teenage boy, I didn't even know what autism was. How do you even spell that? A few years later, I heard that a friend's cousin's son had been diagnosed with autism. I still wasn't sure what that really meant. When I went to college, my roommate's brother had autism. When I moved to the city for work, my best friend called me and told me his son had been diagnosed with autism. We were both in shock. I still remember the day I walked into the house and saw that look on my wife's face. I knew something was wrong. I'll never forget how I felt when she said, our son has autism. Autism is getting closer to home. Today, one in 110 children is diagnosed with autism. That's a 600% increase in the last 20 years. Learn the signs at autismspeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to More Minnesota now Matters. Tasha Radel and her conversation about a remarkable new exhibit centered on Prince. Thanks, JW. Alan, let's switch gears a little bit. Can you describe uh, the Prince photo exhibit at the History Center? Sure. Um, you know, it's really making an icon uh, of, of, of Prince, what, what he looked like in the early days. And, and by the time 1999 finished, you know, we'd already established what he was, his look was going to be. Um, he'd actually come into my studio and would try things on, like different sort of looks, different uh, outfits, and, and we'd just test different fashion stuff for him. He's very fashion aware. I got to give him that. I mean, music and he saw music and fashion together. And excuse me. Uh, and me growing up, I was more of a fashion photographer. Like I worked at, I don't know if you remember any of these, uh, but I worked at Donaldson's Department Store, which was a competitor of Dayton's. Yep, absolutely. I worked for Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine as a fashion photographer. Um, for a long time, and then um, then Prince kind of came along, and I had to kind of like I was torn between the two. I was doing fashion and musicians, and um, but yeah, it seems like fashion kind of came into it quite a bit with Prince. Well, I think for the exhibit, um, it, it's gonna what I've seen of it, and I've only seen previews, mind you. Uh, it's gonna be very comfortable, and uh, they're gonna have like a large purple um, circular couch in the middle and there's going to be purple drapes and seems like it's going to be like um, my there's going to be print digital prints of my work and then I think it's going to be very casual it's not going to be like you start you know white museum with spotlights and and that kind of treatment I think it's going to be a little bit more relaxed and, you know, you'll see Prince grow from um, uh, being, you know, kind of a teenager into a real superstar, actually. So it, uh, it, you'll see the changes and steps, if you know what I mean. Oh, so yeah, like absolutely. That out, you know, that I was with him long enough to, and actually longer than anybody else, because um, it did so many albums and... Usually when a musician wants to do a, a new album, they usually hire a new photographer to get a new look. But Prince just, 
you know, he would just tell me what he wanted it, and every time he would change, I would kind of like change with him. Um, I don't know how else to say that, but they're still using my work today, like for the originals. I mean, that just came out um, last year on September 21st, so um, just a year ago. And that photo we took uh, uh, around 1982, and uh, we're still using that today. So it's kind of timeless stuff. That's awesome. I mean, what what a what a great thing for you and in, in with your career. I mean, not many people can say they got to spend that much time with Prince, you know. Absolutely. No, I I can I understand how fortunate I really was. I mean, I mean, I even knew at the time it was, I was very lucky. Um, you know, I don't know how he picked me or I mean, I know he saw the poster, the fashion poster and was really kind of liked it, but um, for us, you know, we started off as a photographer and, and client, and then after a couple, you know, after a year, I was really part of the inner circle with the revolution, with you know, um, Des Dickerson and Bobby Z and Matt Sink and and Lisa Coleman and and Prince and. So I was kind of always kind of part of the band. So that that was good. So I have to ask Al because I, I, I was being lucky. I knew that. Right, right. I do. I do have to ask backing up a little bit because I forgot to ask you. How come you never went inside to First Ave with him? Oh, because like I said, um, he was getting more famous. But you know, after Dirty Mind, people, especially around Minneapolis, knew who he was. And I just didn't want to walk into in with him because then I'd have all these people wanting to introduce him, me to introduce um, them to him. And I go, you're gonna have to do that yourself. <laughs> I, you know, I don't mean to be mean. It's just he liked his privacy, and I think people kind of gave him room. And uh, if I were to go in with them, I would be afraid that. My friends would, you know, clash on to me and then make a big deal about Prince. And then, I, you know, I don't know how to explain it except that I, li- I liked it that there was a separation there. Didn't have any bodyguards back then. So, you know, it wasn't like, you know, if you wanted to, you could approach him. Um, and I think sometimes he talked to people and sometimes he wouldn't. He was just that kind of guy. He wasn't very open. I think if I were to see him, I'd do the same thing. Probably just give him space because, you know, that's just, it's Prince. That's what you do. So. Right. Well, lots of good information. And, and I thank you so much for taking the time with me. I learned I learned a lot today. And, geez, what a what a great opportunity and friendship for you. So should make your heart happy or purple, so to speak. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I, I realized, and, and I want to be humble about it, that I was very lucky and very fortunate do as much work as I did and be around him as much as I was. Um, I was very fortunate, and um, I'm blessed, very blessed. Thanks again to my guest, Minnesota photographer Alan Bolio and Prince's good friend. Back to you, JW. Thanks, Tasha. And that'll do it for another edition of Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. On behalf of all of us here at MNN, thanks for joining us and tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.